Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to Season 10 of the podcast. We are working our way through Genesis 1 through 4, and last time we looked specifically at days 1 through 5 of creation, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 23. And so we're picking up today kind of in the middle of this section because we want to give some extra attention to day 6, where a lot goes on. Uh, More of the text is just devoted to the activity of creation on day 6. And so there's just some really big concepts to unpack as we talk about the creation of humans which is going to be kind of the crown of God's creation. And they're going to be distinct in a lot of ways from the rest of what we've seen in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, so it might be good for us to just review what the first five days looked for. We wanted to break this up like this because day 6 just has so much in it. But days 1 through 5 consist of God uh, kind of fixing the things that are talked about in verse 2. The earth is formless, void, and dark. And so God will begin to fill the once empty earth with the things that he creates, and he will give light to a once dark earth. And so on day one, of course, God gave light. Let there be light, he said, and then there was day and night. Day two, he made the waters and the sky and what I'll describe as the atmosphere and the clouds that are there. Day three, God makes the seas and the dry land and and separates those two things. But then he brings forth vegetation and plants and trees on day three as well. And as we pointed out last week, what corresponds with days one through three are days four, five, and six. So day one, God said, let there be light. But on day four, God will more specifically give the sun, the moon, and the stars, the luminaries that complement the light. On day two, God made the water, skies, and the atmospheres, but on day five, God fills those things with the birds and the fish of the sea. Day three, God made the seas, the dry land, and the plants, and on day six that we're going to talk about today, God fills those things with the mammals, the insects, and mankind. And so that's just a little bit of an update. And we looked at three big points about God speaking things into existence and the power that comes from that. Uh, We looked at the things that God saw, that things were good, and that God separated things, and we'll pick up more of that idea today on day six. Yeah. So we also talked about the the corresponding days of creation, that day one, God kind of makes a space uh, for day and night, and then day four, he fills day and night with the greater light, the lesser light, and the stars, sun, moon, and stars. And then day two, he created kind of the skies and the seas. Day five, he fills the skies and the seas. And day three, he created dry land and put plants there on the dry land. And now day six, he's going to come back to that uh, part of his creation and fill the dry land with land animals. And then in addition to that, create humans in his image. So let's read the first part of this about the animals. We're in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 24 and 25. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, 
and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is not the end of day six. We're going to pause here before we get to humans. And so just like we saw God on day five creating the the sky creatures and the sea creatures with his word, he speaks, and now the earth is bringing forth living creatures. And there's kind of different categories, like Chase mentioned a minute ago. In verse 25, he talks about the beasts of the earth. Uh, I guess this would be kind of the what we call cattle and things like that. Um, and then there's, or excuse me, just regular beasts. Livestock is specific, specified next. Livestock according to its kind. And then the insects, the ground creepers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and all the variety of those. There's so many insects. Uh, it's, it's wild. Uh, yeah, you ask anybody who's like in that field, and they'll tell you the variety that there is in insects. And it's funny. I feel like out of all of the animals that God created, bugs do get the short end of the stick because there are so many varieties, but they're all just bugs. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you just kind of throw them all into one category. Mm-hmm. Was that a spider or was it a you know caterpillar? Uh, squash it. Yeah, it was a bug. <laughs> you know? So they all kind of get thrown together. But Stephen's right; they have variety, just like everything else God made. Yeah, and in particular, you know, we've talked about uh, according to its kind on some of the previous days. But day six, I mean, man, he goes back through the list. He's like, this is according to its kind. This is according to its kind. According to its kind. And so there is variety, but there's also limits put on the variety mm-hmm. in Genesis that God is creating um, the ability for these creatures to multiply. Uh, we'll see that more in just a minute. But there are there are limits put on that. Animals can't completely change into another kind of animal. Um, and so the beasts are going to be beasts, and the livestock are going to be livestock, and the bugs are going to be bugs. Um creeping things of the earth, and that's the way God made it. And God sees that that, that's good, that there's tremendous variety and variation, but that each is still according to its kind. And so it's interesting to me that there's a separate act of speech for the animals, and then there's going to be a separate act of speech for humans. Um, We saw that on day three with the act of speech for creating of dry land and then an act of speech for the creation of the plants. And there's going to be, a, you know, these humans are a separate category from the animals. And again, that flies in the face of a lot of modern theories, but this is God's good creation. And humans bear some similarities to the animals and even some similarities to, you know, birds and fish in certain ways. But there's going to be something different in just a minute here in verses 26 and 27 about humans. Yeah, so let's go ahead and read that. Uh, Verse 26 says, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. So there is at first a very distinct difference in the way God creates man. Because he points out that we are making him in our image. A lot to unpack here. The first thing to unpack is there's like multiple people here now. There's a plural pronoun here. We, yeah. we and us. We, us, our. Who is this we, us, and our that God is talking about all of a sudden? Was he creating by himself before and now there's someone else there? Why does God, when it comes to man, point out that there is a, a collective image that man is being made in? 
And there's two possibilities that people throw out there. Uh, one is, is heavenly beings. Heavenly beings, angels, or whatever you want to call them, are created. They are not creator. They are not eternal. But it's possible God is, is kind of talking to them or around them as he creates these things. But the second possibility, and it's one I lean toward, is that this is God and his spirit that we were introduced to in verse 1, but also the Son of God, Jesus, that is here. Uh, Jesus, we're told in Colossians, was there at creation. That's a whole other rabbit trail we can go down to think about God, Jesus being there at creation. But God is now in his deity with the Godhead creating a creature that is different from the others. This one looks like God, and God hopes that this one will act like God. It isn't God, but it's made like God, an important distinction to see. Yes. And so creating man in our image, and again, the word for man uh, can mean males or just humans, male and female, depending on the context. Uh, So you might say, let us create humanity in our image is another way to to say this. Because male and female, we'll get to this more in a minute, he'll say that in verse 27, they're both created equally in God's image. Uh, Genesis 2 is going to give us kind of a zoomed-in view of the order of creation. But here we're told that men and women from the beginning are both created as image bearers of God. And that is such a weighty concept in Scripture. One of the early distinctions we're going to see between human life and animal life is the sanctity of it. After the flood in Genesis chapter 9, um, God is going to allow people to eat meat. We'll talk. We'll see in just a minute in Genesis 1 that originally it appears that humans were vegetarians, perhaps the animals as well. And in Genesis 9, he says, okay, just like I gave you plants, now I'm going to give you Uh, animals to eat but there's an important distinction he says one don't eat the blood and two do not kill humans Uh, humans are not for food (laughs) animals are different than humans and he points out in genesis 9 verse 6 whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for god made man in his own image so it appeals back to Genesis 1 and says, listen, because man is distinct from animals, there's a, there's a difference here. Hum- animals are not created in the image of God like humans are, and so don't treat humans like animals. Uh, later on in the sacrificial system, of course, animals will be killed for sacrifices and things like that. Um, and so there's parallels between humans and animals, but they are distinct from the very beginning in Scripture. Another interesting thing is that just unpacking this idea of what does it mean that humans are made in God's image? Mm-hmm. And what has that meant up to this point, even in Genesis 1? Um, the things that we've seen God doing so far are the acts of creating things. And that's something that we're going to see humans imitate. We want to make. Now, we've already said that we're not God. We can't create in the same way that God creates bringing something from something that was never there before. We craft or arrange what God has already made. But that that's a way that we're like God. And and similar to that is God is going to tell humans in verse 26, let them have dominion over these other parts of creation, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and the creeping things. So God wants mankind to be over 
the other things that he creates. So this is the first kind of sense of hierarchy that we get is like God is over man, but man is over the animals. And what we're an interesting thing that we're going to see later in Genesis 3 is a reversal of that. The humans are going to listen to an animal. Of course, Satan acting through the animal. They're going to listen to a snake and submit, in a sense, uh, to the lie that they hear. And that's not the created order of things with humans and animals. They're to have a dominion over the animals. Yeah, and so uh, we really need to kind of park on this idea of being made in God's image because it's an idea that's carried throughout the entire Bible. Um, That distinction of the rest of animals and and the creatures versus us who are made in the image of God. And number one thing I'll point out, I was going to bring this up when Stephen was tying in Genesis 9, but I had to put my finger on the passage. It's interesting, in James 3, James is warning, and we went through James in one of our seasons, he's warning against the dangers of the tongue. And and one of the things he'll say about the tongue, this is in James 3 and verse 10, uh, or in verse 9, sorry, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, or made in the image of God. From the same mouth both come blessing and cursing my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And so, not only are we not supposed to murder our fellow mankind, like Genesis 9 points out, because they're made in the image of God, even in the way that we talk about mankind, we are to be very careful, because they are made in the image of God. And so, we are already needing to correct our view of mankind and how we see each other because of the fact that they're made in God's image. And everyone struggles with prejudice on some level against maybe different groups of people. And we really, at this point in the text, need to do an attitude check. Do I have a respect for mankind in the way God is calling me to, or do I see them like the rest of creation and treat them in the way I would the rest of creation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, we live in a world where, you know, we're talking about these types of things a lot. It's like what makes humans all equally worth of dignity? And why is violence so bad? And the Bible gives answers for these kinds of questions that our world is asking right now. Um, all humans are created. Uh, regardless of their ethnic background, color, whatever, all humans are equal in worth because they're created in the image of God. God has given humans equal worth, and we have to recognize that because throughout history people have tried to make distinctions between humans on the basis of all sorts of different things. And why is it bad to take human life? Well, because it Humans are made in God's image. They're not just animals to be used for other purposes. There's a sanctity to human life from the very beginning of human life. And that idea comes from Scripture. Without looking to Scripture for the basis of these things, it becomes subjective in a lot of ways. And that's why there's so much confusion right now. Is because people reject the Bible, and so they reject the basis for reasoning about the value, the equal value of human life. And so Genesis is laying moral foundations for us. Mm-hmm. And when we reject Genesis, we're rejecting more than just the story. We are rejecting the moral foundations for society. And we're unfortunately seeing repercussions yeah. for those kinds of things. And let's just, let's just point out the obvious there as we reflect on the fact that man is made in God's image. Let's point out the obvious. 
there's a lot of people out there that might be made in the image of God, but they don't look like God and they don't act like God. Um, I look at my own life, and there's some things I look back on, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm made in the image of God. But I sure didn't act like it. I broke that image. And there's a lot of people in this world who have broken the image of God that he all created us. us with. All of us have. And so what are we supposed to do with that? How do we come back to what God's image for us is? And the New Testament, again, has a lot to say about that. Um, one of my favorite passages that deals with this, and it pops up all over the New Testament, but sometimes you can see this language. In Colossians 3 and verse 9, Paul will say, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. So do you see the renewal that's being talked about there in verse 10? You broke the image, but now you've been renewed in the image of the one who created you. God is able to pick us back up and put us back together in a way that is more beautiful than what we were before. And it's through his son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so this concept of being renewed to the image of God, it comes up again in Peter's writings. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Um, He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. I was recently listening to a lesson that was on this idea of being partakers of the divine nature. That one of the things that God is doing through Jesus Christ is he is restoring humanity to the image of God. Now again, even in our fallen state, we still bear God's image. We still have divine value and human life is not to be trifled with, even in our fallen state. But what Jesus is doing is really trying to get us back to representing God's nature in the way that we were originally meant to. We were supposed to image God. People were supposed to look at humanity and say, wow, what an amazing God created that. And right now we're doing a terrible job of that. It's very broken in the ways that we have made a mess of bearing God's image. And so as we think about this concept brought forth in the New Testament, Genesis 1 is going to lay the foundation and really Genesis 1 through 3 altogether, because of course we haven't talked about the fall yet, but that's key in these passages, that we were created in God's image and we've really messed that up. We're like a cracked mirror now Mm -hmm. that's still partially (laughs) reflecting God's image, but Jesus is fixing that and bringing us back to where we were created to be. And this is something Jesus wanted us to think about. Uh, In one of his interactions with the Pharisees in Mark the 12th chapter, they asked Jesus a question about, should they pay taxes or not? And they're trying to trap Jesus. And as Jesus will typically do, he will he will use these kinds of questions as a as a stepping stone to talk about what he wants to talk about to them. And so uh, the way Jesus teaches them is by asking them to bring a denarius for him to look at. And they bring one, and Jesus will ask, well, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say Caesar's. And Jesus will say to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God things that are God's, and they were amazed at him. Jesus is asking a deeper question 
other than just, yes, pay your taxes and whose inscription is this? I believe Jesus is begging us to ask ourselves, whose image are we in? And when we live our life, who are we reflecting? Are we reflecting Caesar? Are we reflecting sin and other things that come with it? Or are we reflecting the one that made us? Are we reflecting the image of God? Jesus wants us to ask that question. And he will, like Stephen pointed out, he will fix that image. He, he came in and renewed us. But we need to ask, whose image am I made in? And whose image am I reflecting as I walk through this life? Yeah. You know, I want to circle back around uh, to the idea of men and women, male and female, both being created equal in the image of God. In verse 27, it says, So God created man, again, or humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As we've been reading through Genesis 1, we've seen that God speaks, God sees, and God separates. And there is a separation created here between male and female, and that's good. God's going to say, yeah, this is good. I've created humankind. He could have just created one gender, and so he creates two. And he says there's male and female. And of course, we'll see some of this reflected in the animals as well, but there's some differences there. But mankind, humankind, is created in two forms, in male and female, two genders, um, and, and only two. God sees that this is exactly how he wants it to be. And sometimes people think when we talk about gender roles, and again, we'll get more of that in the New Testament, but God has distinct jobs that are different for men and women. There's a lot of overlap, but there are some things that he says, men do this, women do this. And at no point in in distinguishing their roles does God assign greater worth or value to one or the other. They are complementary, sometimes the word that we use, um, in their roles. They're distinct, but they're complementary. And one of the places I think is helpful to see this is in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 4, um, excuse me, verse 3. And he is talking here about headship, and we won't get into the whole context, but he lays down a principle from creation, and he says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So there's a, there's a four-part sequence that he talks about here. God is at the top, then Christ, who is also deity equally, but he is, God is his head, God the Father. And then below them is man and woman. And sometimes it's easier to see some of the distinction here with God the Father and Christ, there's a headship order there. Christ is equally deity. He is in no way less valuable than God the Father, and yet God the Father is his head. And so they're equal in worth, but they're distinct in their roles. And we touched a little bit on this when we talked about God the Father and Jesus and the Spirit and creation. A lot more of this is spelled out in the New Testament. But man and woman like God and Christ, are equal in their worth, but distinct in their role. Yeah. And that's true from the very first pages of the Bible yes. here. Mankind, humans, are both equally created in God's image, but just because they have distinct roles, as God will spell out later, they are equal in worth. Yes, and you see that also in the words that are describing the oneness of those relationships. 
we're going to get into this, Lord willing, when we get to the end of chapter 2, whenever it points out, uh, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's an idea of them being different but becoming one in a complete way. But there's also this idea, even in the New Testament, outside of marriage, but as man and women, men and women, enter into a covenant relationship with God, uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, for those who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a oneness that comes in Christ. Now, that does not mean there are different roles or different responsibilities. That That's going to be true. But there's still a oneness that brings mankind together that God assigns to them uh, first here in Genesis 1, but then ultimately in Jesus Christ as well. As you're saying, that doesn't eliminate the distinctions. No, it does not. But it emphasizes no matter what your gender or your social circumstance or ethnic background, you are all equal in your standing before God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. So, again, so much going on in just these few verses in Genesis. And, again, the New Testament has much more to say. You can multiply passages about being made in God's image and the implications of that. Um, But I think this is really important for us to to say these things in our culture right now because our Mm -hmm. culture is just really pushing back against things that God made distinct. Um, They're trying to blur the lines, trying to really, like Romans 1 talks about, reject the authority of God. And when we as the creation rebel against the authority of the creator, we're breaking what God created good. And we'll reap the consequences of that. It's only going to hurt us in the long run. We've got to trust God as our creator enough to say, okay, God made these things distinct. And we should leave them distinct. And look carefully at scripture uh, and say, okay, what are the differences between men and women? What are the differences between those roles? Uh, what are the differences between humans and animals? Uh, why, why make distinctions there? And so all of these things, again, come back to the moral underpinnings of society. Mm-hmm. And when we reject these accounts, we're rejecting a real objective way of saying, all right, this is why humans are different. This is why men and women are different. And these distinctions are for our good. At the end of each of these days, God is going to say, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And let me just say that there are times throughout human history that people have made incorrect distinctions between men and women and between humans and other humans in ways that are not good. And sometimes people run to the opposite extreme and say, well, because people have made bad distinctions in the past that are not in accordance with God's word, then we should just eliminate all the distinctions. Well, no, that's not right. That's running to the opposite extreme. We need to respect the distinctions that God made between men and women and distinguish between here's the distinctions that God made and here's the distinctions that humans have erroneously made between men and women or different kinds of humans and stick to what God has said because he's our creator. And he knows the good kinds of distinctions to make. So I, I just think, again, in our world, we got to keep coming back to these fundamentals. Yeah, and it comes back to that question we asked at the end of the last podcast. Do you trust the creator? Do you, do you trust that he knows what's best with you, with you and for you? And will you listen to what he said about you? Um, God gave us the instruction manual on us. You know, like I'll tell you, when we had our baby, it was like, man, I wish there was an instruction manual that came with this. And... Uh, 
guess what? There is. It's the word of the one who created you and created your children. And so we got to trust him. Um, so that really brings us to this last section in Genesis 1, verses 28 through 31. I'll read this for us. It says that God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So here, as we're still talking about day six, it kind of breaks the mold. Because God has made all these things, and as the reader, you anticipate it to say, God made all these things, and maybe you even skip forward to day seven, where he's like, ah, he, he rested, and he, he enjoyed what he made. But as soon as God creates man, the narrative tells us that God turns around and gives everything he made to man. God just hands it over to him. He blesses him. And he, God says, man, look at everything that I made. It is for you. I want you to have it. And I think that's a really important thing for, for us to understand about the God of the Bible. I think people too often have a skewed understanding of who God is, that he's just out there to, to vengefully hand out punishments to people. And our God is just and he is wrathful and we should never ignore that side of our, of our God because he is God. He can make those decisions. But also understand that God wanted to bless his people. I mean, that's what he started off with is making everything to hand it over to man and to bless him. And that's really what God wants to do with us. He wants to have a relationship with us, and he wants us to be blessed. And that doesn't mean that there aren't terms and conditions for the relationship, and maybe that wasn't the right choice of words. <laughs> but you see what I mean? A relationship is a two-way street is simply what I'm getting at. God wants a relationship with us, so there's going to be things he asks of us, and we should appreciate that he wants a two-way relationship, but it's not all one-sided. And so it starts with him blessing us. Um, and it also starts here uh, in verse 28. He tells man to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But he also says to subdue it and to rule over it. It's something Stephen talked about a little bit earlier. But there's a way in which man is now given responsibility over what God created. Mm -hmm. It's not just been given to him, but it's been entrusted to him. Right. And sometimes we get the idea with dominion or subdue that, like, oh, it's my way or the highway, and, like, there is a place where dominion can be abused and things can be used only for the pleasure of the one in dominion without any consideration for that. And that's not the picture here. God is a benevolent creator and he wants his image bearers, humans, to be benevolent rulers over his creation, to take care of it. Uh, yes, to have dominion, it will be for their use, but it was also, they're going to help it flourish. That's the biblical idea of headship, is not just a selfish ruling, lording and it over creation. Taking, yeah. yeah, taking it and using it, but a nurturing, 
that is what they are to do. Yes, it is dominion, but it is also caring for and providing for what is under their care. And so I think there's a point to be said that we should appreciate and value the creation that God gave, uh, whether that be in the way we treat animals that we have or that we see or or the the different things that God blesses us with that he made. We, We should be good stewards of it. I think that's an appropriate point to be made here. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that if we think of this role of humanity at the beginning, that they're to have dominion. They're kind of the kings and queens over creation. Of course, God is over all, and we are under him. But we are to rule over, be these kings and queens, to reign over what God made. That's going to be some of the future promise that we see in the New Testament in places like Second Timothy 2 and verse 12, where it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Um, and so, again, sometimes we feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, we're not the king of kings, and of course we're not. But God wants to share his reign. Um, in Revelation 3, verse 21, Jesus speaking says, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And in Revelation 5, in verse 10, it says, You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And so each of these passages carries with it that idea of, in the end, God wants to restore man's created role as kings and queens over his good world. And so I just think that's a a beautiful picture that brings the Bible full circle in these passages. Um, And again, not to say that we're king in place of God. That's the sinful idea of dominion, that we want to usurp God, but we are rather reigning with him and under him as his created rulers yes. over creation. And that's a overcorrection people have made over the, the centuries of, of biblical theology that we will be gods or like God. And you're taking it too far and you're really, you're forgetting everything you've read up until this point. You're still the creature. You are not the creator. And what's kind of ironic about all this is that when we get the wrong idea and we decide we want to do it our way, we want to be kings and queens on our own terms, is we actually lose the role of authority that God's rightfully (laughs) given us. When we break creation, as what's going to happen in the fall, is man listens to woman, woman listens to the the creature, the the serpent, and everything is broken. (laughs) And so we lose the good, blessed role that God's given us when we try to do it our way. And so that's, again, these lessons in Genesis are teaching us, listen, God created it good, and when we think we get a better idea and try to force it, we break what God created to be mm-hmm. good and beautiful and holy. And so we got to trust God that yeah. his way to be to have dominion is the right way. It's interesting, too. I mean, God created us to be hungry and to want to consume and to eat things. And so as you think about the man and him being created with a a, uh, a stomach with wanting to eat, God does say to him in verse 29 uh, about all of the plants that yield seed and have fruit, their food for him. And there's nothing said at this point about animals being given for food, and so this would have been what mankind was eating. But post-flood in Genesis 9, Noah is given free reign to eat uh, whatever he would like with some limitations with clean and unclean animals that we'll read about much further in the Bible. But God gave these things for our pleasure and for our food and for our consumption. And so the next time you sit down to a good, delicious meal, I hope you are thankful to God that he gave that to you. I think uh, the the custom of thanking God before we eat a meal is appropriate. 
appreciating that he provided this. He gave this to us as a blessing. And just the different tastes and the different fun things that come with food. Like, mm-hmm. God did that on purpose. Uh, be thankful for that. And, and what's also interesting with this is that God creates a codependency here. Man is to have dominion over the land and over the plants, in a sense. Um, but then we are dependent on the earth for our sustenance. Yeah. That, like, we can't just use it however we want to where it no longer produces what's good we we need to take care of it so that it will take care of yeah. us. And so it's interesting that God from the beginning creates these codependent, in a, in a good sense here, yeah. uh, situations, symbiotic might be a better <laughs> word for that, that uh, we take care of the earth and in turn the earth provides through God you know, what we need. And so that's just kind of a cool thought here. And so the end of Genesis 1, which is really kind of a bad chapter break, we're going to talk about day 7 and kind of do a deep dive on that concept in the next episode. But the end of Genesis 6, at the six, after the six days of God's work in creative actions, it says in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The chorus at the end of each day so far has been, it was good, it was good, it was good. And God sees everything. All right, this is exactly how I want it to be. It is very good. And that just just bring us pleasure when God can look down and say, very good. Uh, there's not a whole lot of times that God's going to say that after Genesis 3 because things are going to get very bad very quickly. But there's a few times when like Jesus comes to God and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is good. And of course, we're told at the end, when we are in Christ, God will be able to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. And when God declares something good, there's just a, a satisfaction that when we're accomplishing our purpose as his creation, that that's our highest joy yep. is to be what God created us to be and to be very good. And God is all source of goodness. Uh, I love the simple hymn, if you're familiar with it. God is so good. Mm-hmm. And it repeats that over and over again to help us understand he is the source of all goodness. And so any goodness we have comes from him. We're thankful for that. So if the Lord wills, we're going to continue looking at the days of creation. We'll do one more podcast on the days of creation, looking at the seventh day where God rested, and we'll talk about what it means that God sanctified that seventh day and some of the implications that come into the rest of the Bible with the Sabbath day, and uh, Lord willing, we'll spend some time spelling all that out in the next episode. If you guys are enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave us a rating and review um, so we can reach more people. If you're interested in studying the Bible with us, we'd love to have a conversation with you, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on group studies or worship, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.